Last week, we took that first phrase, to act justly, and today, this phrase, to love mercy. And we're taking these three weeks to consider these words from Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. You can see the words on my shirt, and I know many of us have this shirt as well. And if you still want to get one, I think we have some that um, uh, have your name on them. So, if you would like to turn in your, in your Bible with me, I will be reading from the book of Micah. If you have one of these church Bibles, uh, I will be reading from page 747, 747. Micah chapter 6, I'm going to start in verse 6. And if you would like to stand for the reading of Scripture as you are able, I invite you to do that as well. <clears throat> what can we bring to the Lord? What kind of offering should we give him? Should we bow before God with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, O people. The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. May God bless the reading of God's word, and would you pray with me? Spirit of God, would you please now speak to us? And the words, God, that it, it seems to me you have given me to speak, I ask that you'd use them for the building up of your church, for the encouragement of your saints, and to the glory of your name. We lift these things up in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. As many of you know, many of you know, there's a group of us who gather together on Tuesday evenings via Zoom, we all love Zoom, for a book study. We are currently going through a book titled, Anxious to Talk About It, Helping White Christians Talk Faithfully About Racism. There are about 35 of us in this group, and I know of at least one other group that is going through the same book. Our group has met a few times now, and it has been good. Race is not an easy topic to talk about. There are so many emotions and convictions and stories that we all bring to the conversation. But this group, on Tuesday evenings, via Zoom, we are engaging in these conversations a group of white people talking about race together, trying to be honoring to our Lord Jesus, and I'm, I'm proud of this group. Two weeks ago, as a part of our discussion, as a group, we reflected on Jesus' parable we call the Good Samaritan. Maybe you know this parable. A lawyer comes to Jesus, and they have a conversation about what's the most important commandment 
as Micah might say, what does the Lord require? And they talk about loving God and loving your neighbor. Well, who is my neighbor, the lawyer says, and Jesus gives this story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road by chance. A priest comes along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road, passed him by. Then a temple assistant walked over, looked at the man lying there, also passed on by on the other side. And then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going to him, the Samaritan soothed the man's wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man, and if the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. We were reflecting on this story in our Tuesday night group, and I asked the group to think about the the possible different emotions that people in this story might have felt. What emotions, for example, might the man who was robbed and beaten have felt? And the group identified feelings of fear, shame, regret, relief when he was finally taken care of. Then we considered the priest and the Levite who saw this man in his desperate time of need, but they walked by, did nothing. What might they have felt? The group identified things like guilt, panic, inconvenience, fear, and how about the Samaritan? We know he felt compassion. Jesus tells us that. People in the group also suggested emotions like hope, anxiety, maybe anger. And then we also considered Jesus and what Jesus may have felt. The group gave a lot of suggestions, anger, hope, compassion. It was our friend Lori Stanley who offered another possibility. I I spoke with Lori, and I do have permission to share this. Perhaps you know Lori Stanley. If not, I sure hope you get the chance. Lori, I hope you're here, you can hear me, is the kind of person that we call the salt of the earth. Lori is a light in this world, and I'm, I'm thankful to count Lori as a teacher and a friend. Well, Lori shared that she thinks Jesus felt sadness. The story of the Good Samaritan brought him sadness. She shared that Jesus felt sad because we live in a world where people get robbed and beaten. Jesus was sad that the priest and the Levite, two men of God, didn't do anything to help. Jesus was sad that the lawyer was trying to justify himself by asking, who's my neighbor? The following week, a week after our conversation about the Good Samaritan, Lori and I spoke about her answer once again. Lori said to me, Pastor Abe, can I have a do-over? Do you know what a do-over is, Pastor? I said, yes, I do know what a do-over is, and I'm 
very thankful for do-overs. Me too, Lori said. I'd like a do-over on my answer about why Jesus was sad when he told the story of the Good Samaritan. Of course, I said, please, have a do-over. Okay, Lori said. Last week, I shared that Jesus was sad because the man got hurt, and I, I shared that Jesus was sad because two men didn't help him, and Jesus was sad because of the lawyer. Lori went on. She said, well, that night, uh, after a group, I, I fell asleep, and in the middle of the night, God woke me up. God told me that there was another thing that made Jesus sad. Pastor Abe, can I tell you what God told me? Please do, I said. And then Lori said to me, Jesus was sad because people hated Samaritans. That man in the story was a good man, and yet he was despised. That is a great irony about the story of the good Samaritan, don't you think? The one who chose to love mercy was despised. That is, the par- that is part of the power of this story, The story of the Good Samaritan not only demonstrates what mercy and compassion look like, it reminds us that even those that we think are enemies or are them, they're capable of good too. It challenges us to consider the ways that society sets up divisions between us and them and how these divisions lead to dehumanizing entire groups of people. It's a brilliant story. Micah says that the Lord requires his people to love chesed. Love chesed. This is the Hebrew word that Micah uses. It occurs more than 250 times in the Bible. It gets translated a variety of ways. Sometimes it's translated as kindness, sometimes loyalty, sometimes love, faithfulness, even compassion, or t-shirts say mercy. These are all legitimate ways to understand the term because the truth is chesed is not just uh, understood with one of these things. Chesed is all of these things. Chesed is compassionate action on behalf of someone who is in need. And what's more, Chesed is commitment to another person that comes at a cost. Like the Samaritan helping the man with his own money, his own time, his own donkey, paying for all the expenses himself. Chesed is a bone-weary father driving through the night to bail out his drug addict son from jail. Chesed is an ever-smiling mother spending day after thankless day spoon-feeding and wiping up after her children. Chesed is the unsung spouse whose patience, prayers, and support keeps their exhausted beloved from falling apart at the seams. Maybe you can relate to that. Chesed is the person who will drive mile upon mile so that their friend can make it safely to and from chemo. Chesed is love that can be counted on day in, day out, yes, but also decade after decade. 
It's not about the thrill of romance or the initial passion of doing something that seems important. Chesed is bedrock faithfulness that promises to be there no matter what. Love, chesed. If you have someone in your life who demonstrates chesed to you, you are truly blessed. I think of Ruth and her commitment to Naomi. She is said to have chesed for her mother-in-law. I think of Jonathan and David in Scripture. I also think of places like the CAC in this community. I think of the encouragement fund that we're dedicated to in our own congregation and how faithful so many of you have been for so long to those in our church. I think of the free legal clinic that has been put together in our own community, providing legal counsel to those who otherwise would not have access to it. I think of things like Operation Backpack. I think of the food distributions that so many of you have been a part of in recent years. Too many of you to name, honestly. And I can see loyalty like this playing out in our own community in Northfield. When I think of chesed, I also, um, of so many things I think of, I this week thought of a scene from the movie Just Mercy. Maybe you've seen that movie. Captures this idea of chesed. Uh, I think the movie's about a year old, maybe. It's a true story of a, a young black lawyer, Brian Stevenson, who travels to Alabama, I think it's about 1989, hoping to fight for people who cannot afford proper legal representation. There, Stevenson meets Walter Johnny D. McMillan, a black man who was wrongfully convicted to death row for the murder of a white woman. There's a scene where the lawyer, this young Stevenson, shows up at the home of the, the man who's in prison. He wants to meet with the family. And they invite over friends, and, and they go into the kitchen, and it's just packed, packed with all these friends and neighbors. And uh, as they talk, this young lawyer, Stevenson, says, I can't imagine the pain you're going through, and I'm going to do everything I can. And then he's interrupted. He's interrupted by the son of the man who's on death row. And this young man rebukes the lawyer, and he says, the last lawyers were talking just as big as you. And they took all our money, and they split. And how are you any different? And it's this kind of silent moment. Everyone's kind of shocked at his audacity. And then the lawyer responds. He says, well, our organization will cover all the legal fees so no one of you will ever have to pay a penny. And based on everything I've seen, I think we can build a case strong enough to bring Johnny D home. And I'm not going to stop until I've done that. It's commitment. That's chesed, a commitment to action for the well-being of another that comes at a cost. 
As I have sat with this phrase, to love chesed, thinking about our time where we find ourselves and our place here in Northfield and our church, and as I have listened to God's Spirit, and I have, it is the commitment side of this term that hits me. The loyalty, the uh, in it for the long haul, it's the long game. I think about God's justice mentioned, give or take, 600 times in the Bible. How do we cultivate a commitment to it? How do we outpace and, 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 and outrun a news cycle that we would be committed to justice and mercy in and out of season, as God hopes for us. And I think we're asking these questions as a church, and I hope we're asking these questions of each other. I mean, I don't think that this Samaritan just woke up one day and said, I think today I'm going to show mercy uh, with my money and my time. And um, (laughs) I mean, he had to go out and build the trust of the innkeeper, no? He was in it for the long haul. Most of you know that we, as a church, have been and are discerning God's calling on us to grow in this commitment to justice. And right now, it means racial justice, issue of race, seen through the lens of Jesus. Last week, a few members of the task force shared their hearts about this work. I hope you had the chance to stay on and listen. If not, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that interview. The calling God has on Emmaus. And in the coming months, as this group of leaders provides us with opportunities to sit with Jesus regarding justice, regarding racial justice, I hope, God, you will open our minds and our hearts to what you're doing. Please, Lord, give us sight. I've had many, many conversations with people at Emmaus on this. A lot of Emmaus folk. And I know there are those in our church whom God has lit a fire in you. Woo! And I'm thankful you are ready to go. Put me in coach. Amen. And I know that there are others who uh, recognize God's leading, sensing God's guidance, but we don't know what we're doing. Reminds me of this. I got to get Rich Mullins in here somewhere. Uh, If you know the album, A Liturgy, A Legacy, and A Ragamuffin Band, best Christian album yet. One man's humble opinion. As the album opens and the musicians are up there plunking away and tinkering and tuning, one of the musicians says into the microphone, just uh, allow me to make this disclaimer, everybody. I'm barely ready to do this, but let's do it. And some of us, that's where we're at. 
And I've also spoken with friends who aren't entirely sure about this whole thing. And I hear you too. I do. A concern. We don't want to lose focus on Jesus or our scriptures, for they're sacred. Yes. Well, wherever we are on this continuum, I want to say all of our stories are important. All of the things we bring, all of us that we, uh, all the things we have to say and share, let us listen. And I want you to know I am committed to patience and listening and serving. That's my commitment. And I am committed to do what God is asking of me. I'm committed to do it when I get it right. And I'm committed to do it when I get it not so right. And I want to invite us to lean in, to learn, to take part of even just one offering that might be presented to us in the coming months by the leaders of the task force. That we would cultivate a commitment, chesed, to God's justice and God's compassion. Last night, I was putting my son Jack to bed. Jack is four. And we said our prayers. And I sang a blessing over him. And then it was quiet for a little while. And I thought Jack had fallen asleep. And then... Jack spoke into the quiet. And he said, Dad, do you know what the most powerful word is? (laughs) What? I asked. He said, Dad, the most powerful word is hope. And then Jack asked me, Dad, do you know the best, what the best thing to hear is? And I said, what's the best thing to hear? And Jack said, well, the best thing to hear is, I love you. I love you, Dad. Good night. <laughs> From the mouths of babes, no? And I guess what I want to say as we um, consider these words of Micah, is I have hope that God is leading us. And I love you. Let's pray. Jesus, who do we have in heaven but you? who advocates for us and who takes up our case before the throne of God. And God, I want to confess that sometimes I get it right and sometimes I get it not so right. I'm a ragamuffin too. And yet, here we are, here we sit, here we stand. Uh, You have a claim on us, and, and you have a call on our lives. 
because of Jesus, the one who died for us and forgives us all of our sins and iniquities and reconciles us by the power of the gospel and calls us to act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. Thank you for the calling. And my prayer is for our church. We call ourselves Emmaus. Please speak to us and guide us and show us how to be like Jesus. And I ask this knowing that it is by your Holy Spirit that all of these things are possible. I say this in the name of Christ, lifting all these things up in the name of Jesus. Amen.